Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Hello, everyone. Happy New Month, and thank you for joining the Thinking Reimagined broadcast. Breaking the bias is the theme for the International Women's Day in the month of March. And on this episode, we're looking at that concept uh, perhaps um, beyond just the woman folk. Uh, bias really is what I think our attention is on this podcast. And you look around and find out that it would appear that everyone may have had a bias or the other. And we do sometimes make decisions based on that snap judgment to perhaps aid in making quicker decisions. And um, if you're not careful, you'll find that, that this prejudice or inclination uh, usually do affect how we understand and treat people. How do we begin to deal with this tendency and make the world a better place? Dr. Amma, BC Alimi, join me on this one. Uh, thank you so much for finding time to come. Dr. Amma, I'd just like you to talk to us about um, um, how susceptible we are to bias and perhaps um, a few factors that you think uh, greatly contribute to uh, the possibility of having, uh, uh, or rather reacting based on the stereotypes that we have to a particular person or a group of people. Well, Nifemi, I am so glad that we've actually come back to this topic because, uh, you know, we have to look at bias beyond just uh, Women's Day and the concept of creating um, gender equity, um, gender parity, equality, you know, inclusion and diversity. Uh, there are two forms of bias. You know, there is the bias that we call conscious which is the one that we use to discriminate against somebody consciously and the unconscious biases and those kinds of unconscious biases rest in a specific part of our brain. And what happens is when a situation comes forth or presents itself, then our unconscious bias is what reacts. We get triggered and then we act upon prior information as opposed to having agency to figure out if it's necessary to behave in that manner or if that manner is actually appropriate for that situation. So there's always the unconscious, the things that occur with, well, we call it non-unconscious bias because you're not immediately aware that you have that bias, but all of us have some form of um, unconscious versus conscious bias that we play out. But I think what is most important for us and something that we should delve on 
um, throughout this conversation is looking at the prisms that we use to look at people, to look at situations, because that helps us set the bias that we inherently um, talk away and then react to. So it is important for us to have this discussion because um, we have to look at um, the subject matter, not just for women, but for those that we marginalize or that new word that we're using are the BPOP and all of that. So we really need to look at it. How does it affect us as people? How does it affect those that are marginalized? And how do we become more sensitive to those um, unconscious biases that have been talked away? Generally, it comes through childhood. And there are things that our parents, our society, our community feeds us. And we then go on to perpetuate it rather than unwind it and recognize that bias of any sort is an unfair treatment and discrimination against another person or situation. So I am thrilled to have um, Bisi Alimi joining us today. Indeed, we have Bisi joining all the way from the United Kingdom. How are you today, Bisi? I am very well, thank you. And, um, and uh, thank you so much for having me again, Dr. Ama. And if any, it's a pleasure to, to hang out with you today. Um, I'm actually in Lagos uh, at the moment. So uh, hence why my internet is acting like that. Maybe that's my biases. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, Maybe that's that, that, could be, <laughs> that could be the beginning of my biases. Um, I, I think what I wanted to, in one way that I want to, um, I don't want to use the word disagree, uh, but divert from some of the things that Dr. Arma said is that I think Dr. Arma position. Uh, maybe unconsciously, so position biases within neurodivergent. Um, and that is to say that it is, it is what we are born with. And, and so it is there. And what we know of biases that we were never born with them. Um, we are socialized um, accordingly uh, based on the environment we, we, we find ourselves right growing up the kind of exposure we find out. So we look at environment, we look at parenting, we look at social class, and then we look at the kind of information that we have access to while we were growing up. And all of these things brought together create a worldview for us. So it packaged this worldview and it gives it to us. And what it does is like, you know, like the human brain is like a computer. And you program it right from when a child is born. And that includes, you know, who the child talks to, the kind of languages that we are allowed to say around the child, the kind of things the child is allowed to watch, the kind of books that are read to the child at home. And the brain will process this. And what the brain will do is normalize what the brain thinks is good and equally normalize what the brain thinks is bad. And then the brain sends a message to the boy, uh, to the child, sorry. And then the child can visualize this thing. And then the child becomes an adult and reacts on this. And biases are mostly, mostly, not all the time, are mostly based on our reaction to what we have been fed as fear. So we react to those things, to the fact that uh, uh, what, what it is that women want to do in the boardroom, 
you know, why do we have to consider a certain social group as um, even consider them with the conversation of access to rights? And if we can understand this concept that nobody is born with a bias, we can start a process of saying, let us unlearn bias. Let us put structures in place to unlearn bias. But we also have to be very humble about the process that we will never be able to unlearn biases for so many people. And even the one that we will not be able to really, really, really uh, 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 unlearn will be the one that Dr. Amar called the unconscious bias. Because most times, everybody in this world has an unconscious bias. And you have to be in a moment of awareness for you to understand when you tipped over into that area. You know, I always share um, an example which led me to writing um, a, a piece on why men cannot be feminist. And the reason for the reason why I argue um, fervently so that men cannot be feminist is that no man can uncover, unlearn completely their unconscious bias. And because you cannot completely learn and unlearn and relearn your unconscious bias when it's come to the right of women. I don't think any man is deserving to not say, oh, I am a feminist. We, men should see themselves as being on a journey to feminism, which makes them ally of issues that affect women. And this was from a personal experience of me walking into a gym and wanting to get a gym instructor. And a gym instructor, a female gym instructor walked up to me and said, hey, I can be your gym instructor. And I stylishly just turned her down. And it was when I left the gym, I realized, wait a minute, why? I did that because she's a woman, right? In a male dominated job. And I felt that she cannot, I cannot be seen as a man being, you know, trained and pushed around in the gym by a woman, that all other men will laugh at me, will make fun of me. But there is an unintended consequences to that bias. She will not have access to pay because I'm denying her uh, 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 access to financial liberation. She's more likely to end up earning less than the men that are in the gym that everybody will go to because we know men are most likely to be our gym users because also of the violence that happens Within, within the gym sector. So when, you, when I started unpacking all of these things, I realized that even myself, that I've flaunted my feminism card, I am contributing to the issues that affect women greatly. And I had to unlearn, relearn that conscious bias that I expressed at that moment. And I know many have passed me by that I'm not even aware of. And all of these things are formed, not because I was born that way, but they were formed because society told me that women need to know their place. And when they cross the boundary, we need to put them back in the position. So that, 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 that is just one thing that I, I want to contribute to the conversation. If I have a minute, I would like to say that I, I was not in any way referring to neurodiversity because neurodiversity is a different topic entirely. And I do not think in any way, shape or form that anyone is born with bias, but we do learn biases, as Bissy has stated, from our environment, from our families, and that unconscious bias that we we pick up from family, from the environment, from society. Some of it is actually learned in school because in schools they do teach 
without knowingly, um, uh, without consciousness that they are teaching biases. And so that is the non-conscious bias as he has clearly defined. Um, I personally think that it is possible for men to be feminist based on the, um, the experiences that they've had as children, the exposures that they have had but you cannot in the true sense be a feminist because you have to have the experience of women in a setting to understand what it means to be a true feminist, but you can support feminism, which is, as we've always said, a variety of things for many people. Feminism is not about women trying to be men because that comes up very frequently in descriptions and um, discussions. Feminism is about women seeking equity and equality and a sense of belonging in a diverse and inclusive society. So the conversation is about how can we unlearn certain biases that we have picked up growing up. However, I'm concerned about the overlapping dimension of this concept. Many of the things we hold to be truth are born out of certain experiences we've had culturally, religiously, and you know there are quite a number of other concepts that determine what we consider to be true and what we consider to be right. So it's one thing, for instance, to worry about the inequality in the world, particularly when it comes to bias against women. It's another thing entirely to speak to a man who holds certain religious truth or certain religious, um, um, religious concerns or positions to be true as regards who is ahead or who has control. I'd like us to speak to the right and wrong dimensions of this concept because it is one thing for us to speak in this regard, it's another thing entirely for uh, people who have these different biases to consider this concept to be true, or rather to be right. I, I hope I have you don't for me. No, you haven't. But you know, the thing about unconscious bias or non-conscious unconscious biases that people don't even know they have these biases. So creating an awareness of the bias is very critical to call people to for people to recognize when they're being biased. I mean, if, um, Bissy just gave a really good example of what he came to realize by refusing the services of a trainer. People don't recognize that they have biases. It's only when you bring it to their consciousness that they now begin to realize, well, maybe well, some people may say, well, that's the way I think and that's the way I was taught and that's what the good books say. But there has to be a conscious awareness when you have a bias for you to be able to relearn or unlearn to be able to relearn. You know, you have to unlearn in order to relearn. And that is the critical um, point that BC and I are trying to make is you're not aware that you have picked up these biases from your families, from your society, even in school, there are biases. So, and then you go into the workplace and you have this disparity that's, that's going on. Here's another bias that we have in this world. We talk about violence against women, but we don't talk about the level of violence against men. That's another bias. Men do experience violence. 
right? But we sort of talk it away like, no, that, you know, they should be macho and all of these things and they can handle it, you know. But the reality is both gender experience um, violence, but the level to which women experience violence and are prone to those six situations is much greater. But we can't forget about the men. We talk about access to education. There's a greater propensity for men to have access to education than women, particularly in certain parts of the world. But that is not right. I mean, we have one of our survey ladies here and she's in a profession that's perceived to be a male dominated um, profession. And within the structure of the university, there is a tendency for the male survey students to be the lead as opposed to the women. So that need to recognize when you have a bias is essential in order for you to correct it. And people need to call people out when they are uh, acting in a, in a biased manner because they're not aware of it. I'll just I'll just like to drop this in um, because um, when you talk about subconscious biases and um, a lot of prejudices that we have experienced or that we currently experience uh, and the discrimination, how how do we constructively call out bias and stereotypes? Uh, because you know the natural tendency. Uh, for any human is to defend what they do. How do you call out bias without offending the individual and, uh, you know, and also ensuring that we don't do it in a way that we don't win them over? BC. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for that. And um, I will let you know that I actually experienced that uh, scenario that you described now about how do we move the conversation forward without offending the gatekeepers because that is what it means like if we say girls should have access to education we will be offending the gatekeepers who feels that the right of a girl to education is an aberrant and she should be trained to be in the kitchen rather than being in the bottle. And how do I appease that? And that's a, that, that kind of a person. And that's a very difficult position uh, to be in because we have to remove emotion. So if your emotion is hurt, you can deal with it. But if your life is tarnished, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a community, it takes a country to be able to turn, reverse the impact that, that has been felt. And as somebody who has worked in advocacy all my life and who have been told that if I want change to happen, I need to appease, I need to appease. I'm torn. I'm torn between moving the movable middle and concentrating on that and going ahead because I know other people will catch up than to spend a lot of my time on the people that are never, never, ever going to move because then they become a distraction and a waste of time. Um, you, you look at you know, child marriage in Northern part of Nigeria, which is a conversation that has been going on for many years. And we can see that 
the movable middle are redefining the essence of a girl child. And they're having that conversation within the Northern culture about the fact that this is not right. And it's because this middle were easily identified and it was supported and they were made aware of the implication of a girl not having access to education, what it means for her, what it means for her family, what it means for our community and what it means for the nation. And that is, those, are, those factors are extremely important. Now, the, the unfortunate thing is, no matter how much you try to move the people that are not going to move, they're never going to move. And what I have seen, and the argument that I have seen over time is that the people that don't want to get things done keep telling the people that want to get things done to keep talking to the people that really are not bothered by the situation. So you spent years and years and years and years and years trying to talk to people who are setting their ways and don't want change to happen. Meanwhile, there are people that really do want this change to happen. They're very proactive in their community and they're not getting resources to get foot soldiers like them to move and, uh, and push the change. Will I be obnoxious if I say that I am not really bothered about appeasing the people that can't be bothered to see change possible? To a lot of people, people will say, oh yeah, you see that is the arrogance that comes from it. But, but I do understand that. Uh, and we can talk about that even within the conversation of race in the UK where I live. There are people that are never going to change in their racism and trying to spend a lot. I can, I can remember, for example, Channel 4 uh, did a documentary uh, with this guy who uh, was called uh, Tommy Robbins, so racist. And they put him together with, uh, with a Muslim group and he was supposed to go to their house and spend a week with them. And the whole idea behind it is that if he spend a week with them, maybe, just maybe it will change, right? He spent a week with them. He went back to his life. The knowledge that he gained during that one week, he used it to his own advantage to recruit foot soldiers who are extremely, extremely anti-Islam, who were able to push the UK government to become even more anti-Islam. So, I, but the, there are a group of people who are in the middle, who are confused like Dr. Amma talked about, who had this unconscious bias, but are also willing and, and ready to or learn it, but do not have access to those opportunities that the right wing, that's been given to the right wing with the hope that we can change them. And I, I'm, I'm just a little bit conscious about how much energy we spend on people we think we don't want to offend and people we think might change, rather on people that we know will change and people that needs to be offended because they understand in that offense lies the beginning of their reformation. I don't think there's a problem in offending people because this is the point. The, people's, the people whose lives are at risk have no choice. And you're offending or you're being offended. It's just an emotion. You can get over it. But our lives at the other end of me not wanting to offend people that has a larger impact. On, on the society and on the world at the large. And I'm not sure if my, my thought process is, is, is very clear. This is the Thinking Reimagined podcast, sponsored by Allied Empowerment.
Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement and communication. Allied Empowerment, thriving in a sustainable and valued manner. I just want to quickly follow up with, you with um, a rather rhetoric question as regards, do we have an idea of the percentage of these people and how critical a stakeholder they are in striking the, you know, the balance that we need to move our community or our society to that desired pedestal where people can you know, act in such a way that would improve equity across board, if you understand what I'm saying. So, yeah, which group are you talking about? The movable middle? Yes, these um, individuals that you are concerned that they're likely not going to change, whether you appease them or not. I mean, the, the, it's not about how many they are. It's about how loud and how influential they are. And that is, that is, the, that is the issue that I have. They are all in our boardrooms all over here in Nigeria. They are sitting in the House, in the National Assembly. They are governors of a state. They are imams and pastors of places. It's not that there are many, right? It's that they have influence and they have power. And they can influence policy because we've, we've ascribed to them a level of power that is almost next to God. And so, and that's that, and, and that for me is the issue. And that's why I talked about biases as a process of fear. And what these people are afraid of is not because they are not, they are not in the realization of the fact that it is good for human, it is good for community, it is good for the world, for there to be equality, for there to be equity. But what they are afraid of is what happens to me if that happens, will I lose my power? Will I lose my seat? Will I lose my voice? And that fear, they have now, you know, designed it into a package and they call it morality, right? And they hit the street and they call it, we need to protect our moralities. We need to protect our children from this. We need to protect our children from this. But when you unpack whatever it is, the moral panic that they are spreading, you will realize that at the core of it is their own fear of the power and the control that they might lose in the process. So you, for example, we're still talking about, you know, an equal parliament in Nigeria. This men realize, and the reason why we don't have an all-female list, this men realize that for there to be an all-female list, some of the men in the National Assembly will have to lose their seat. And that is the fear of losing your power. Do we have to compensate them for that? Um, I don't know what could be the solution to it, but to go back to the question that you asked, it is not about how many they are, it's about how vocal and how powerful they are. And that has always been my sleepless night. Well, those are some powerful statements, Bessie, because what you're talking about, the fear of influence, which people gain through the power of their bias is one that disrupts the possibility of change or limits the possibility of change. But I, I persist that um, this new generation we have 
is much more worldly. When you look at the Gen Z, when you look at the millennials, they're much more tolerant of the differences that we have. Um, they're the ones who are going to shape and or reshape how things proceed in the years to come. And it is my hope that they recognize the power that they have based on their experiences, which differs from that of their parents or grandparents who currently hold that sphere of power um, and that they had the power to implement the changes or to put in place a process where we unlearn and more importantly, become aware of the biases that are currently preventing people, whether in the community, in the in, um, institutions of learning, in the workplace. You know, nobody really talks about the amount of bias that goes on in the workplace. It's another thing that I want to bring in, because if you're able to get past and as a woman and or, or somebody who is different, I want to use that word today, someone who is different and you get into the workplace, the biases that you experience can make your work experience unpleasant based on whomever is sitting at the top and what their, their perception of how you should be, how you should behave or what they think you're entitled to. So the issue of bias is, is really, um, it's got a wide scope. And I, I really want us to begin to encourage people to look at it from the prism where we recognize when the perception we're using, the prism that we're using to see another individual or to see another situation is very limited because it allows us to recognize when we have limited ourselves from the possibility of having another interaction, which can help us to grow and to be a more sustainable world overall. I'd like to bring in Novina, if she has any contribution or questions as regards to this um, conversation or any other person that is watching live. I like the fact that we're talking about the need for um, our mindsets to change. We have talked about the need to raise awareness in this regard to combat gender stereotypes. Uh, perhaps uh, before we go, we'll touch on the need to encourage uh, a diverse culture that celebrates difference and dialogue and in some way that would encourage tolerance. Because what I've noticed is that we are forever going to have different ideas about certain issues, um, religion, you know, culture, you know, we have talked about the issue of um, racism. And when we talk about racism, we look at it from perhaps um, the minority black, you know, at the receiving end. When you look at all of the education, all of the history and all of the news that we're open to, you'll find out that if we're not careful, even the black man in Nigeria already has some kind of a racist perception about the white policeman in America long before he gets there. So, uh, you know, if, if all of this um, 
mindsets are not properly addressed, you will find out that there will be lead to no tolerance, even when an honest mistake has been made. Melvina, do you have a question or, or a contribution today? I'm not sure if I have a question. I, I, I don't have a question. But then um, I would like to drop in one or two contributions to all our heads. And from what I've been seeing from my own NC as a female, uh, I would like to put on the point that we need, uh, um, as youth, yes, we are seeing this both from the male side and from the female side. We're both seeing this. Bias, but then how to change the mindset of the young ones, how they're growing, coupled to the fact that we have to do awareness of this. We as parents, potential parents to be or parents who are already there, should bring this as an up, put this as an, as an upbringing in their child. Let them know that, train them in a way that this bias, both unconscious or conscious bias, is not getting to them both male and female, the way they are being trained would, because charity begins at home, whatever thing that they that they see at home, what they bring out to the society, it's what they add to the society. So from home, from school, awareness, both online, all of this would aid to, uh, to the change of our mindset yeah, about this bias and between the male and the female. Yeah, I think that's you know, it's interesting that Mel, it's interesting that Melvina should um, bring up the statement "charity begins at home." You know, I, you know, I have my thoughts on that adage, but um, we also need to recognize that whilst much of the the unconscious bias, and really it's unconscious or conscious bias, whilst much of the unconscious bias occurs in the home front because in those formative young age your parents are already teaching you things you're you're being exposed to things you're learning and that is the basis for your unconscious bias there is some bias there's a lot of bias that occurs in the school setting and i'm always very particular about how we are um, exposing young people to learning, to education, the subject matter, what's in the books, what are in the, what kind of pictures are in there? What is the language? Are you featuring more girls than boys or more boys than girls? What, how are you addressing the females? You know, I'm always being called Mr. And then when I look at them and say, yeah, clearly I'm not a man, you know, good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, sir. But clearly, I don't. You're looking at me and you're calling me good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, sir. You already have a conscious bias that someone who of my, I hate to use the word, I should be a male, but I am a female. But that is an unconscious bias. So making people aware of those little things, they begin to realize that, well, the leader of a group could be a male or a female doesn't have to always be good afternoon sir yes sir yes sir and then they say oh no no sorry ma'am it's not necessary it's a, an unconscious bias you know working abroad there are times when people haven't they don't know if i'm male or female but they're already talking and perceiving me to be a male only for me to show up and then they're like what a second is that you yes it is i I did not tell you whether I was male or female, but your unconscious bias has already given you some perspective as to who it should be 
that you're beginning to question me because you realize that you have a bias. So it is important that parents need to be aware of the, the thoughts, the statements that they're making, but schools must really take an active role because much of the learning that children are doing these days occurs in the school setting. So what is the literature? What, is the, what are the pictorials? What is the content? You know, everyone is being addressed as chairman. Well, no, it can't be. If there's a woman, then it can't be a chairman. There, there needs to be a conscious change in the language as well. And that will make it make a difference. So um, we need to unlearn, definitely. But we also need to relearn. But awareness and perception. And I am like busy. I have absolutely no trouble calling people to carpet when necessary, when they have a bias. It is necessary. It's the only way you become aware and then make that change. But I'm certainly like busy, not going to spend my energy on those who are not going to change. I want to work with those who have the propensity to change, who have an open mind to recognize that they do have biases and those biases are limiting them in how they perceive others, how they interact and connect with others. And ultimately that hinders us as we try to develop as human beings. Wrapping up now, I just like busy to speak to perhaps how we can build capacity for tolerance. People with biases are not necessarily bad people. They're just victim of experiences. And like Novena said, um, victim of how, what the land growing up. If you, if you are parented by someone who has terrible character and behavior, you're likely going to pick one or two of that, you know, unconsciously. But like Dr. Amos said, there are individuals who are willing to learn and who are willing to change their mindset. Um, as someone who's been a victim of these biases yourself, how do you think we can build capacity to be able to acknowledge that we're not the only people in the world, there are many other people with different perceptions, with different beliefs, and you know, live with them and also understand them? Yeah, thank you very much uh, uh, for that, because I think that Solution-based discussion is much more powerful. We know what the problems are, and maybe we. And I think what we need to do is just seeing or discussing what and how can we intervene and do something differently. I think you know one one of the things that I normally do when I do training around unconscious bias is to understand that everybody is a perpetrator of bias and. Everybody is a victim of bias. And the moment you create that awareness for people, something unlocks in our brain. Because we always think that the minority group are the victim and the majority group are the perpetrator. And when Dr. Alma started, she, she, she hinted at some of those biases that are creating a lot of problems for so many people. The idea of, of the definition of masculinity, for example, and the pressure that that puts on men to say that I have to express my masculinity in a particular way. Many of us don't know and don't think that that is bias, because if you shift away from the expectation of masculinity, you will be punished by the society for it. So every man gets into a performative role and performing 24 7 
can be draining. It's just like a, 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 a power bank. If you have a power bank on for 24 hours, it will drain, right? You need to recharge it and it needs to be authentic. So th those are kind of biases that we need to recognize. And one of the ways that we can do that is to start connecting the dots of biases, right? Because the, the, they are in silos, they operate in, in isolation. And when we are able to say that, what the, this thing I'm doing has a ripple, a, a possibly negative ripple effect on the people that are around me. And then I become conscious of that because what they are doing has a negative ripple effect on me, so they become conscious of that. And I think that can be situated within, you know, the uh, um, Zulu language of Ubuntu. I am because you are. And if you understand that concept of I am because you are, you know that if I, I know that if I make you uncomfortable, I am making me uncomfortable. And so we then start reorientating ourselves. And again, we have to create a space for, for empathy in this conversation of bias. And, and what, what do I mean by that? Because there are times that people genuinely do not know in the realm of unconscious bias that Dr. Ama and I have talked about today. And how do we hold space for those people and turn such situation to a teachable moment instead of going all out to attack? But again, <laughs> we also have to understand, you know, we talk about microaggression in the UK. And unfortunately, maybe a white person is just expressed a little bit of microaggression unconsciously towards a black person. And that black person takes it really, really personal. People attack the black person and say, oh, you should have allowed this white person, you should have created a space for this white person to learn. But we also have to empathize with the black person who has to deal with microaggression every day of their life. That unfortunately, the day that they've had enough of it is the day that somebody who is so naive, who is so unconscious, performed an act of microaggression on them. And then we don't create a space to understand where both parties are coming from. So I, I, I think we need, like I said, to learn what unconscious biases are, in what way unconscious biases, what, differ, what, what are the differences between them? In what ways do we express them? And how can we unlearn them? And how can we relearn empathy? How can we relent humanity? How can we relent Ubuntu? And I think that that is very important. Um, I know I'm going to just gonna hint at this because I don't think it's a conversation for today, but I would love to have this conversation. I know that Nathan, you, you touched on the issue of racism, um, which also fits into power that I was talking about. And you talk about the Nigerian moving to, to the US and being, having a unconscious bias against the police there. I don't think that we can situate that within the spectrum of unconscious bias. We do know, uh, as a matter of fact, that police brutality, specifically tagged in America, and even here in the UK, it, it targets Black people, black, body, black bodies. It is not an assumption. So as a Black person, realizing that and trying to protect myself by staying away from the police, or trying to defend myself, if I find myself in a situation of confrontation with the police, is not racism. 
And the last thing that I want to say is, I know this is also very controversial. Black people cannot be racist towards white people. Um, because racism is not just about a, a single person behavior. It's about institution, institutional power. It's about institutional system. And it's about institutional strategy. And black people do not have the system. They do not have the structure. And they do not have the power to undermine the existence of white people. That's what white people have. And that is why the concept of racism is in one way. But we can talk about prejudice, and a lot of black people are prejudiced towards white people. Uh, well, I, I think, think we I should come speak. back to that topic at some point in time, um, um, Bissy. I would love to come back to that topic. But I know that we're getting ready to leave, and I do want to bring this last bit in there, and I've alluded to it throughout the conversation. And, and just to piggyback on what BC was talking about, the awareness and um, making people conscious of the effect of their bias, it is very important for us uh, in this day and age to really focus on diversity and inclusion in the school system, in the workplace, have programs that bring forth the awareness of bias, because that in itself is tied into diversity and inclusion and social justice, so that there is a larger sense of belonging. So that is a place for us to um, have discussions in schools, have discussions in the media, and certainly have discussions in our boardrooms. We're all stakeholders in what is going on, and it is essential for us to have that conversation about diversity, inclusion, social, dust, social justice, and belonging. Getting to a place of belonging is the goal for all of us, um, particularly when we're dealing with biases. Thank you, Dr. Anna. Thank you, BC Alani. I'll just chip this in before we go. I think that much of the biases are filled by a measure of ignorance. For instance, when you have a bias towards a group of people, you just may not know them, or you may not have experienced them, and you are just flying with the information that perhaps you had from someone. You know, a specific example comes to mind. I remember when I was in school, I had found this young lady that I liked so much. I was speaking with someone who was like a mentor to me that I think I found my wife. And the guy just laughed and said, uh, uh, I'm not going to take you seriously until you go on IT or you go to serve. And I really didn't think, understand what he was saying. I think he was emphasizing my level of exposure I think that one of the reasons why many people hold strongly to bias is because they haven't seen much um, anything outside where they live or where they do business. And amazingly, I went to serve, you know, and then I found that, that well, maybe I, mean, maybe I made that decision way too early. So I'm thinking that perhaps one of the ways we can break this bias is also to, you know, educate our minds, expose us our minds to different worldviews. I mean, there is no one way to see the world. There is just no one way to see the world. And that's what has been fueling uh, terrorism and you know, many of these violence that, were that we have recorded over the years. There are just certain people who have refused to open up their minds to alternative realities and to the you know, multiplicity of opinions that rule this world. I want to thank you very uh, kindly, Dr. Ama, for sharing your thoughts on this broadcast. Thank you, Bisi Alimi, for coming. 
by the way, BC said that blacks cannot be racist towards white. Uh, uh, well, I don't want to say that's, that's a bias on its own, but perhaps like the Gama said, we'll find time to talk about this in subsequent episodes. Thank you everyone. Bovina, thank you for staying in the course and for everyone who's joined us live. I'm Nifem Yukunso, salute the eyes again. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. The executive producer is Dr. Amma. Co-producer Peter Amon Boyle. And it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoye. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and supervised by Dun Sokwon. Thinking Remargent emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of thinking reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening and we, we hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagine podcast is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website, livesabundantly.com. Or you can follow us on social media on Live Abundantly 8. Thinking, Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for a better global society. society.